Hello there, hello listener, and hello 2021. Welcome back to the EuropeLex podcast. Happy New Year. I'm Ewan Healy, as ever, and with me, of course, is, as ever, Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm all good, thanks. Still just as good as you were when we recorded the other episode just moments ago. I mean, it's we're not going to keep up the sham of the podcast. This is this is a sham. This is a lie. This is still 2020. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a big political event in the next 10 days that we won't we won't know about. But you know what? We'll leave that for you to worry about, dear listener. Something starting with B maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe. I don't know. Have you noticed that we managed to we managed to do the whole previous episode without even mentioning Brexit? Oh, thank God. Not even about the UK anymore, guys. No. Get over it. In our very special New Year episode this year, we're going to be looking ahead to 2021, everything that's going to come, um, and is considered it the other half to our Christmas special, where we looked back, now we're looking forward. So this is going to be a really interesting episode, as ever, and Tobias is back with us to help us answer some questions um, and understand what's going to come up in the next 12 months. Let's hope they're a little bit better than the previous 12 months. Hello, guys. Happy to be back. But that, of course, is not all, not just Tobias. Um, is with us this time. So many of our listeners are with us again, especially this time because we've got a fantastic listener Q&A coming up. We asked on Twitter if our listeners had any big questions about the coming year that they wanted to ask our panel of experts, and I'm afraid we lost the panel of experts in the post. So you've just got the three of us. Um, <laughs> and boy, did you guys send in some difficult questions. And we're really excited to see you know names and put some names to listeners from different places all across our continent. And so the first question comes in from Tristan, who lives in the Netherlands. So hi, Tristan. Um, and they ask, an easy one to start with, of course, very easy. What effect will Joe Biden's presidency have on the European Union? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I assume there will be sort of an initial excitement. Obviously, there'll be a lot of realignment when it comes to policy. I'm assuming, especially on climate, there'll be a lot of things happening. There are a lot of big summits next year around that. But then I don't know if it, I have a feeling that he'll be very focused on like domestic politics and getting a grip of, of the virus and so forth. So I'm not sure it will be as monumental as we might think now in terms of impact on, on European politics. It'll definitely just mean probably less media attention, to be honest, <laughs> with Trump gone. Even the last few weeks, I haven't really seen Trump as much as we, we've been used to. I don't know if you, any of you disagree. Yeah, I would say that especially the not election of Donald Trump could have an impact on the European Union. And I'm not an expert on this big thing, an elephant called European Union, but I'm just thinking about what does that really mean for the voters in the European Union? And it signals to the voters who are those anti-establishment voters that exist in the US and support Trump and that they exist also here in the European Union. It signals to them that this is not the beginning of a new world um, necessarily. The right can be beaten. That At least that's what I would assume. And it would demobilize voters and parties in Europe have less to look up to and take as an example now that Trump is not president anymore. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to see the the impact that it has on yeah the anti-establishment voices and whether they feel a bit diminished or disappointed, you know, um, compared to how they pre felt previously when their man was um, in the White House. Um, the other thing I can just highlight again what Gabriel said. I think I really agree about climate. 
is that we've seen from the beginning of uh, Biden's transition team and his campaign that the climate emergency has been at the top of his priority lists. And I think we'll see a lot of um, EU-US dialogue, particularly through COP26 next year in the UK. Um, we'll have a really big dialogue there and we'll see the presidential envoy on climate, John Kerry, out and about doing the, doing the rounds of European countries, absolutely, particularly those who are more sluggish around climate policy. Perhaps he'll be um, making some friends in uh, the Italian government and elsewhere. And the other thing I'll say is on um, Brexit, um, the dreaded B word, um, he, Joe Biden, likes to class himself as, as Irish, um, as well, he is from Irish extraction, but he is, you know, uh, an American, but he likes to talk up his Irish credentials. And that will include a very hard line on violations related to the Good Friday Agreement and will mean that he's going to be really looking really closely at that. And you know, the Irish caucus in the Democratic Party has always been really powerful. But that will be something I think is a little bit less discussed. Um, but Joe the Irishman is something that we do need to watch out for in Europe. Our next question from our listener comes from Spain, where Carlos asks, so hi, Carlos, he asks, will the reform of the electoral system to the European Parliament be a reality soon? And what will change for sure about the European Parliament? Tobias? Well, that's a difficult question to answer also because it's a pretty broad question. So we need to acknowledge that the 2019 Spitzenkandidaten process failed. Um, there were no transnational lists. However, recently we have seen more steps towards transnational lists. Um, the European Parliament recently made a recommendation on that. I think it was in November 2020, which was labeled steps to improve EU democracy ahead of the 2024 elections or something like this. And it basically points towards introducing transnationalists and reforming the Spitzenkandidaten system. So if this is what Carlos is asking, I think we're progressing towards it, but I can really not say whether it will be implemented in 2024, because ultimately this lies with the EU member states to decide. I think I'll just add, Tobias, to what you've just said, is that I think it definitely won't be this year. The change won't be this year. I mean, the Swiss and Candidat system was basically only theorized and only came together in a few months before the last European election. And I think that will be the case again this year. You know, we've got a 2023 deadline in that piece of legislation that Tobias talked about um, for improving EU democracy. So I think we're looking beyond 2021 when the governments will be more preoccupied with trying to get things back to normal after the pandemic. And the transnational list question, I think, is a really interesting one. There's a lot of scholars out there who actually don't even think it is legal under the Lisbon Treaty. And I think we may need a new trans-European treaty. And that brings with it so much baggage um, if we want to change things in the longer term. And so that's going to be a much bigger story, I think, if we're going to try and go deeper into transnational lists and things like that. Because, uh, yeah, like I say, the Lisbon Treaty was a big sticking point over that um, in recent years. So watch out for that story. What, what would be interesting is there are some more low-hanging fruits, I would say. So, for example, the European Parliament uh, recommended to consider to lower the minimum voting age to 16, common admission, campaigning and funding rules, and the establishment of a European electoral authority. So, basically, something like us, maybe, in that type of direction, <laughs> uh, to dream a little bit around here. But this, these type of things are low-hanging fruits. So, a central authority that would coordinate elections, common funding rules, and lowering the voting age to 16 years. Uh, that was recommended by the European Parliament recently, and I think that's a low-hanging fruit. We could see that until 2024. I agree. I agree. I think that would be something quite clever and that would get a lot of attention. I mean, 
for me, the issue is that I'm not sure in terms of getting people engaged with, with European elections, which is the ultimate goal where there, it's traditionally been very hard to get people to vote and get people to even pay attention or care. Um, you know, there was an uptick in, in turnout uh, in the 2019 elections in most places, but it's still very low. And the spits and candidate system sort of flopped both because of that and then also more practically, you know, after in the aftermath. So in terms of getting people engaged in the process, I think sort of more low-hanging fruit that can be easily communicated and that can franchise people will be more beneficial to the EU in the long term. I think these other big treaties, uh, transnational lists, like I think that has the potential with lots of Europeans being quite skeptical and Eurosceptic to, to backfire and create all these debates that won't really help. That's just my, my humble opinion. But it will definitely be interesting to see where it goes. And obviously, we still have quite a long time till the next election. So I'm sure there'll, there'll be some changes. What, Gabriel? You mean to tell me that transnational lists aren't at the top of the talking conversation in every beer, halla and pub in the, in the continent? You're telling me people don't care about transnational lists? I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's something that could be used quite easily um, politically um, in a lot of places. Yeah. So our next question comes from an anonymous listener. Ooh. Spooky. Um, um, it's an anonymous listener from Flanders in Belgium who uh, asks, when will Flanders be independent? That is an interesting question. It's only a small one. It's, it's not a big question for us. Just a little just a little idea. The breakup of a major European country, you know. Yeah, but I think that this anonymous person from Flanders asks a question that is overlooked in the European political discourse overall. I believe personally that Belgium is incredibly fragile at the moment. They have this government structure which is super vulnerable to make people unhappy, especially in Flanders. Um, I do not know what the legal implications are, but 37% support independence in Flanders. And as we know, 37% can quickly go up to 45, like in Scotland. Mm. And it can quickly go up to 52, as we saw in Brexit. So... Be and this is boiling. This is a boiling pot that um, we need to pay attention to as Europeans because Flanders, the people there are by 37% really unhappy with how things are going. And it's definitely a trend. I mean, if and an issue for, for I guess, Eurofederalists is that the, the general trend politically is for things to... Uh, to break down. I mean, it's, you have Brexit with the UK breaking away. You have Scottish independence, support for that rising. I mean, scary to think, you know, about for a lot of people, but even with, you know, Ireland, there's this issue that you have the, the Catalan uh, movement for independence also gaining stream. Like, it seems like to me, looking ahead, the long-term trend is towards those things growing in support. Um, so I definitely don't think it would be um, you know, out of this world bonkers crazy for it to happen in sort of the medium term. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've both mentioned Scotland and I think um, these Scottish regional parliamentary elections coming up this year will be a big thing. And, and the next few years will be a big, you know, deciding point, inflection point for independence movements across the continent who will be looking very carefully at how the EU responds to 
uh, you know, Scotland becoming independent and then wanting to join the European Union and how vetoes are used in different countries. And so that's going to be something to definitely pay attention to. And, and I, I'm sure that the independence movement in, in Flanders is, is watching this just as closely. So thank you for that great question. Our fourth question comes from... Uh, well, speaking of Scotland, comes from Glasgow, which is a great place to live, may I hasten to add, comes from Marcin, who asks, what are the odds of the European integration for Moldova following the recent elections? What are the odds of the country joining the EU? I want to just start by um, just contextualizing that for our listeners and just say that Moldova are not currently an EU accession candidate. Um, the EU and Moldova have sort of positive relations, so to speak, but they are not in the sort of mechanical processes of joining the European Union at the moment. Well, whatever you said is correct. Um, but at the same time, we also have the option that Moldova could join Romania at some point. And we had presidential elections uh, this year where the candidate that is not super opposed to that idea um, was elected, Maya Sandu. And also 25% of Moldovan support accession to Romania, which would mean the accession to the European Union. Yeah, I think that's the big question that needs to be answered by Romanians. I, I completely agree. That and, of course, also the, the Transnistria dispute as well. I think those two are the two big stopping blocks. But there's definitely appetite, and I think whether that's just amongst the political class or just amongst the people for change in the constitutional system that runs the country, that, you know, it's not impossible, but I also wouldn't hold your breath. I mean in terms of how how quickly it's going to happen i mean have you have have you looked at the eu accession candidates lately how's that going for them turkey how's that going for them you know um and the same way that the many european states have been stonewalling relating to um uh, transition uh, agreements for north macedonia and for albania and so you know, there's clearly, there's things that need to be worked out both domestically in Moldova and within the European Union before we're going to see enlargement. Yeah, I mean, as I said to a previous question, it's like the trend is the opposite. It's towards, you know, dealing with um, with uh, disagreements between member states at quite fundamental levels, like with uh, like with Poland and Hungary, and then you have these independence movements and there's this sort of, question around support for the EU. It's quite polarized. I mean, to me, the trend is towards sort of self-preservation, growing support internally and sort of avoiding uh, continued sort of uh, break down after Brexit, which I don't think will happen, but I think that's sort of the overall trend rather than this sense of of, uh, of expansion, as you say. So I, I, I don't think that it's something that's going to be happening sort of at a fast speed going forward, even though obviously it's sort of in the long-term interest of the EU. There's some interesting debates to have there and how the EU responds to the coming financial and, and economic crisis after the coronavirus pandemic, after the stimulus packages run out, um, is going to be a really interesting you know, uh, conversation and debate and uh, period for the, for the future of the European Union, how that's going to look. So we'll, of course, be covering that closely here at Europolex because it's what we care about. And speaking of what we care about, our last question is a really lovely one, which I appreciate from Luca in Milan. Thank you very much, Luca. Which country makes you the most excited when a new poll comes out? And what a lovely question. Tobias. The easy answer to this question is, and everybody should acknowledge this as total truth, is Slovakia. <laughs> Slovakia is so incredibly volatile. You see new parties popping up every now and then. Um, the largest party collapses from 30% to 15 within two months. 
it's just incredibly nice to watch. I, I absolutely firmly disagree with you. I don't think you could say that, that Slovakia is the outright, the outright best poll. In the, I mean, if you like volatility, can I introduce you to my little friend called the Netherlands? Um, I mean, or, or any number of European countries, but actually my, my preferé country for polls at the moment is definitely Ireland. After the, the election this year, things have been all over the place with the scandal around golf, um, with all sorts of scandals in um, Irish politics, there's been some very exciting um, changes about um, and record highs for Sinn Féin and the incumbent government really slipping down. You know, Fianna Foyle, who Michal Martin, the, the Taoiseach, the um, head of government there, is his party has, has fallen to some of their lowest numbers ever. Um, you know, these are a, this is a party that's dominated Irish politics for the best part of a, a century um, and are now slipping down into the, the low teens, if not 10 or 11%. So there's, there's a lot of change going on in Ireland at the moment, and I think that's a really interesting country to watch. I also love French polls because they don't exist. It's just a myth. I think when they, when they come, it's like, it's like a blue moon. It's like it, no one believes it. It's already been mentioned, but I'm, I'm always quite um, keen on, on, on the Dutch polls just because there's so many parties and just uh, always very tight because they all have quite, you know, low levels of support. Um, so I quite like those. And then I'm obviously, you know, I'm a Swede, so I always get jittery when a Swedish poll comes out. And I feel quite lucky because there are at least five a month, so I don't get starved. I'd hate to be French in that regard. <laughs> yeah, just in that regard. Um, no, that's a joke. This isn't this isn't an anti-French podcast. Just want to make that clear. Imagine being like a French green, and you had this that surge of support in local elections last year, but there's like nothing to you know because for a lot of political movements, when a poll comes out and you can sort of point to things going well, it's like everyone shares it on social media. It gets you all hyped up and excited, and it becomes part of the reporting. But like, it must be very frustrating in France. Um, to not have that, if if you know what I mean, for for all movements. Like at the moment, it's just like all you see from France is like approval for Macron is like down two percent. I'm sure they, I'm sure they feel hard done by. I'm sure they've noticed. Um, yeah, thank you so much, listeners, for all of those questions. They're really interesting, and we we love uh, hearing from you. Don't forget that you can always get in touch, and we uh, really encourage you to via our email address. Um, which you'll hear about just in a moment. And of course, keep an eye on our Twitter feed for future Q&As like this one. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. And of course, tell your friends, your fellow political nerds all about us. That would mean the absolute world. We love making this podcast and we love it when you guys love it. So if you've got an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic that we should be covering, or even if you just want to say hi to us, drop us an email, podcast at europolex.eu. Welcome back, folks. Every year, without a doubt, is a busy one for politicos. There's always a story to talk about. And next year is no different, um, with elections coming up in you know, so far, countries that we know of, we've got elections coming up in, in Portugal, Kosovo, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Albania, Cyprus, Norway, Russia, Iceland, Germany, Liechtenstein, Gibraltar, the Isle of Man, Armenia, and the UK, and of course, all of the snap elections that are to come. Um, but we thought we'd just have a quick chat about what EE will be getting up to and what we're 
uh, really looking forward to. So first of all, friends, um, what election are you looking forward to the most in 2021? And you can't say all of them. I just want to say that now, even though I'm sure you are excited for all of them. So I know I'm a little bit biased here, but Germany will be a biggie um, because not just we have the national parliamentary election, but because we also have all these regional elections in states where special governments are having power. For example, in March, we will have the Baden-Württemberg election, the regional election there. That is the only region I can think of where a European Green Party member has the prime minister. And then we have Thuringia, which we all remember for big drama last year. And um, then, of course, the national parliamentary election, where Angela Merkel is not running anymore. For the first time in German history, we will see an election where the incumbent isn't running. And we will see who will replace Merkel um, in that role as CDU list leader, because the CDU leadership election isn't done yet, even though the election is creeping up. And we don't even know whether CDU or CSU will actually put forward a list leader candidate who would become the chancellor. No one can deny that the German elections will probably be, you know, the most important or the most impact for for most of us. Um, I'm looking forward to, well, again, biased. I'm looking forward to the UK elections to see sort of a temperature check, you know, following that sort of remarkable um, victory for the Conservatives uh, in 2019. Um, and it will be sort of the first elections where uh, with Keir Starmer's Labour Party in the UK. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting. It'll be a lot of activity around that. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of overanalyzing of those results that I look forward to. Uh, and if I could pick a second one, I'd say I'm quite excited about Norway because in recent months, you've had um, the center party there up in the polls and uh, with a lot of momentum. So there's a chance that for the first time in a very long time, neither of the big center-right or center-left party um, will become the, um, the, the biggest um, in the Norwegian parliament. So there might be a big sort of change there in, in the electoral system. So I'm looking forward to that. The country, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to both of those elections, absolutely. I think it's hard to overstate the significance of the German national federal elections for the future of the European Union. Um, so I'll be watching that very closely. But I'm always um, a fan staying in the Nordic countries of, of Icelandic elections um, and really interested in, in seeing how uh, things go in those countries and seeing how things go in uh, Iceland. And we've had really strong uh, numbers recently in polls for the Social Democrats um, and the left green movement. And uh, that could be a, a challenge for the incumbent government. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there? But of course, I love every I love every election. I'm I'm an inclusive election fan. Um, and one that you might not know about is is Gibraltar is also having a, a referendum on the legalization of abortion, um, which will be interesting to watch as well um, for people uh, interested in, in in women's rights issues. But of course, um, every country every country's election is a special election, especially the Netherlands as well as we've got coming up because, as we just said, volatile electoral systems are always fun. The next question is a bit of a different one and asking you to look into your crystal balls a little bit here. Do you predict any snap elections? Well, so looking to my favorite, Slovakia again, um, today or a few days ago, the prime minister called his deputy an idiot. We're talking about um, Prime Minister um, Matovic, who said that um, 
Richard Sulik, who's the leader of the Libertarian SAS party, who's also the economy minister in Slovakia, um, an idiot. He apologized for, quote unquote, having an idiot as economy minister. And um, Sulik responded, Slovakia has bigger problems than the prime minister's emotional state. So I don't know how this is going there, but maybe we'll see something in 2021. I mean, I can, I've been speaking a lot about Romania uh, this month for the podcast and given the, the very complicated situation there and um, the volatility, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they had one. Um, they're almost at Italy's level when it comes to, you know, governments falling, new formations, um, no one sits for longer than than two three years usually, so I wouldn't be surprised if if something crashes and and, and burns there in twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I just to add a quick thought. I am not sure I could predict any at the moment. I don't know if there are any countries going. I think people will be conscious of the declining economic situation before incumbent governments choose to go for the. Um, option of last resort. Um, but I think there's a couple of governments in Europe which are strained and have had strained relationships um, between coalition partners because of the pandemic. And I, I'm thinking um, one example being of, of Spain, um, and there have been big tensions between Podemos, um, the junior partner, and um, PSOE, the uh, senior partner, and Maybe when the dust settles a little bit after the election, they'll have both had enough. Um, and I'm sure there'll be stories of the Spanish monarchy and drama around the Spanish monarchy, which won't uh, let up. And we'll continue to be able to see some uh, political dynamite go off there. And the fresh government in Belgium, you know, I, I don't think that they'll fall apart. But if I had to pick one, you know, and put a put a bet on, you know, you can rarely bet wrong that there's going to be something wrong with a, a Belgian government. As, as we said, things are unstable there due to the systemic problems um, or just the system itself. And so um, if anything goes wrong, it may well be in Belgium. It's hard to watch sometimes that Belgium government and its tradition, <laughs> it hurts. It's a really slow, constitutionally intensive car crash. <laughs> and just thinking wider than the elections, thinking at uh, Europe election coverage, as people obviously innately involved in how we do things. Tobias, could you just kick us off with some thoughts of what you're hoping that we will be able to improve this year and do better than last year? Well, first of all, by the end of next year, we will for sure be Europe's proposed electoral agency and we'll be all super rich. <laughs> That's my prediction, but more concretely and more seriously talking, um, we have big operations set up behind your blacks. We don't just have the podcast, we also have YouTube and all the social media channels and a website where we have journalistic articles that are almost on academic standards, you could say. And I just hope that the financial side of things improves for your blacks because at the moment we're largely held back because we lack financial support. So that's something we'll really focus on in 2021. Wink, wink, dear followers. Wink, wink. We have a Patreon. <laughs> you heard the man. He knows where you live. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, big things for, for our lovely podcast that you're listening to right now. I mean, it's been, it's been so much fun throughout this year. 
to sort of to learn. And I, I feel like we're, uh, at least from my biased perspective, you know, improving. So, you know, to, to, to be a bit bold, get big guests and, um, and tighten the, the, the offering um, of this podcast is, will be my, my focus. I definitely agree. Do you have a dream guest? I mean, Ursula. Ursula, or as, as we call her in Germany, Uschi. Uschi. Honestly, I wouldn't mind having somebody from, let's say, the right of the spectrum. Um, Jan Saradil, I believe, would be an interesting guest to have, for example. He's the leader of the C ECR party, so the National Conservative Transnational European Party, um, but also Matteo Salvini. Definitely. I'm all for it. <laughs> okay, finally, our final question. What is your prediction for 2021? What do you think we're going to be talking about the most at the end of this year in the 2021 review episode, presiding that we're all still here? I would bet we will talk on Scottish independence and maybe look at Irish unification. We could even talk about a movement in Wales that comes up to um, speed in terms of independence. I don't think that the UK will take Brexit easily. And I believe that this will further fire up the independence movements. I definitely think um, the independence movements will, will be a big topic. I also think something that's been very underreported because of, you know, it's a very competitive news agenda at the moment is the whole issue, sort of fundamental issue about Poland and, and, and Hungary's behavior and position within the EU. I mean, I think what we saw in negotiation um, of the recovery fund uh, I think those sort of sentiments will will um, will emerge as well throughout the year. So I think there'll be a lot of, in a way, in a way, more difficult issues for the EU than than Brexit has been this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if if you saw some Euroscepticism flare up in unexpected parts of of Europe in response to that. That's really interesting. And I think my thing that I think we will be talking about in 12 months time, I, I hope, is we'll be talking about proper timelines for accession for uh, North Macedonia um, and potentially Albania as well. I think um, once those roadblocks are out of the way and those roadblocks have been moved, I think we can see, we'll see an acceleration as the EU institutions try to get new countries involved before the 2024 elections, because there ain't a lot of time, you know, it takes a long time for these institutional things to get sorted out. And I think People will be focusing on uh, trying to get those done before those elections in 2024. Tobias, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Um, Gabriel, thank you for being here. And we will see what 2021 brings and we'll all be back together again soon to cover every moment of it. Yeah, thanks, Tobias. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ewan. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLX podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review for us. Also, to stay up to date with European politics, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all of them. You can find us also at EuropeLX.eu um, and at EuropeLX across all those social media platforms, except for Instagram, that is, because there it's at Europe underscore Lex. Thank you very much and see you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLX podcast hosted by Ewan Healy and Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karimpoulos. The producer and audio engineers were Rafael Peñorios and Leon Lisener. 
The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Yorgos Kakuris, and William Ferreira de Senda. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do couldn't be possible without our fantastic supporters on Patreon. That was a phenomenal timing, Tobias. It was truly astonishingly good.